The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Now we are synced, you and I. <laughs> We're like brothers, only, only closer. Only closer. All right. Uh, yeah. We're Shall... getting better at these dumb openings. Yes. Shall... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Backstage Gaming. This is our 10th episode. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm Chris. I'm Dylan! And we're here to talk about games and talk about theater and talk about our thoughts about items one and two. Uh, again, it's episode 10. We've been doing this for, like, way longer than <laughs> I thought we would survive, but here we A are. A couple of months, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, we have something kind of fun and different today, hopefully fun. Yeah. We are gonna... I had this idea at, like, three in the morning, and I thought it would be... At the very least, interesting to try. Um, That's usually when your best ideas come. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we are going to take a classic game that, at the very least at the time, did not really have that much of a story to prop it up. And we are going to, in real time in front of you, before your very ears, try to come up with like a narrative through line and turn it into something that might be performable on a stage or on screen and again i don't know if what i have in mind will could be done on stage but like i definitely on screen i i think it could work all right well we're gonna workshop it we're gonna do this live it's gonna be goofy and messy and if it works out well and if we have fun and if people seem to enjoy it uh my thought was that this could maybe be like every 10 episodes we take on a different game and try something out maybe do like audience suggestions for games something like that but before we jump into that dylan and i have not talked in a hot minute because we took a week off of recording for the holidays and for traveling and such and so it's true uh i just want to catch up with my friend the last time i talked to you you were whooping my ass at smash (laughs) (laughs) repeatedly and brutally. oh man it's uh <laughs> oh uh i was uh, i had a bunch of my friends over for new years and uh we uh we were, we got to talking about code geass because that's a thing again <laughs> wait <laughs> what do you mean that's a thing again oh you didn't know there's a there's a trilogy uh like of compilation movies or there's there's like two compilation movies and there will be a movie sequel to the entire series um, coming out sometime this year, I believe. Fine. Uh. uh, no one's been talking about it because I guess maybe Code Geass hasn't, like, it's not as good as everyone remembers, maybe? Hot take? Maybe. Um. Uh, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, Code Geass is an anime about, if I say it's an anime about high school kids with mechs, like, that's not really setting it apart from <laughs> You're not special. a lot of other things. It was what like if the main high schooler staged a coup against the empire the british empire <laughs> it's it was like a real hot show in like 2006 
and Dylan and I discovered recently that like we are joined by both not really being into it back in the day. <laughs> like I liked it, but like more so because my friends liked it. Yeah. I, I had and a lot so, of problems with that show. <laughs> yeah, and so I guess they're making more because the people demanded it. I mean, like, you know, ob- honestly, like, if there are more people like my friends who still love and cherish this show out there, good for them. Yeah. They now have more of that thing they like. Yeah, ain't gonna, um, ain't gonna yuck it too hard. It's just not... But, like, no one's talked about it in, like, a decade, and no one seems to really talk about the fact that it's back. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, the reason why I even brought it up was because uh, I was talking about that with one of my friends, and so that got my parents to start asking about it, so we watched, like, half of the first episode. But Funimation doesn't have the episode on YouTube for some reason. I think Sunrise used to, but they don't have the rights to it anymore because Funimation bought the rights. And hmm. Whatever. Um, what is important is that to show my parents Code Geass, we had to do we had to go back to the good old days and looked it up on YouTube in the three part episodes. Oh yes, <laughs> back when YouTube videos couldn't be more than ten minutes long. Exactly. So you know, like we watched Code Geass, English dubbed episode one, one of three. Also important, it was a rip from Adult Swim. <laughs> So it was the broadcast version. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a, a departure from your topic, but it, I just coughed. I've been fighting off a terrible vocal poison that my father gave me ever since I was home for Christmas. So, <laughs> Oh, no. If I die, let me let die. Let me die. <laughs> but I will attempt to keep my coughing to a minimum and edit out the most egregious instances okay. if they come up. Good um, to know. You sounded pretty good, like before we started recording so yeah i'm i am feeling way better than i have been for the past week it's just been like a lot of like i'm feeling great and then i hack something up but Mm. we'll hope that the next hour will be relatively cough free do you want to just hop into hop into this nonsense experiment that we're doing okay actually there is one last thing i need to tell you oh hit me um Jordan Jordan told me this literally right as I was setting up, like, before... Jordan's my brother, for the mm. listeners at home. Um, he told me this right before we I, I set up and called you on Skype. Okay. Apparently, they are remaking the first Pokemon movie in CG, and that's coming out this year. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? That was my reaction. I... And then, you know, Jordan, bless his soul, he, he repeated it to me because he didn't realize I was saying what in disbelief, not what... <laughs> As in, I didn't hear you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some Pokemon the movie, but like, who is this for? Well, apparently, this is the. Uh, I don't know why, but this is the year of Mewtwo. Apparently, there's a trailer. <laughs> We can't do this Sorry. now. We can't do this now. Yes, we can. Shut up. <laughs> okay, send me a link. You know this is important. You know <laughs> I don't right. care if it's bad audio. <laughs> join us three second like join us forty five seconds in the future when Dylan and I have both consumed this media. <laughs> okay, welcome back, audience. It's the future now. We've both consumed this media. That was the nope, most... I'm still watching this trailer. Okay. okay, now it's over. It just wrapped. That I can't was... believe they took the CG rendered artwork on a Pokemon card. And made it into a movie. Yeah, that was, like, so remarkably <laughs> underwhelming. Well, I mean, it's a teaser, Chris, but I, I get what you're saying. No, I mean, but, like, okay, 
here's here's the thing. Here's my problem. The Pokemon Sun and Moon, uh, Sun and Moon anime, which I have not seen, but I keep seeing clips of it on my Twitter feed, has some pretty stellar animation. And like, why don't we do that if we're remaking the first Pokemon movie? <laughs> yeah, like I'm not against the idea of like sort of remastering this film because it's like. It's an old flick at this point, but, like, nothing about that CG <laughs> felt worth it. Also, honestly, uh, you know, say what you will about, like, the quality of writing or pacing for those movies, especially if you're not a Pokemon fan, mm-hmm. but, like, they have some pretty good animation. Yeah, like, <laughs> like at least do me the honor of giving me, like, a Detective Pikachu garbage pail Mewtwo. <laughs> Like, Like, I'd watch that. (laughs) Like, it's no Princess Mononoke, but, like, you know, like, those those movies still look decent. Yeah, the animation is, like, fine to moments of being really, really cool and really, really good. Yeah, so, you know, fine, I guess. Why couldn't you just, like, re-release the original in theaters or something? It's secretly gonna be Sonic the Hedgehog instead of Ash. They're going to sneak uh, live-action so- live Sonic into this movie. The crossover we need and deserve. <laughs> Step it up, Avengers. Oh, my God. Oh, okay, no. But anyway, so that that is the news of my life. <laughs> it has not been an eventful week because, like, holidays are cool, but, like, you don't really have stories behind them. Yeah. Unless, like, they're really crazy. So, yeah, uh, I guess we can hop right into it now. We're going to do some live scriptifying, for lack of a better term. Uh, And we're going to kick it off with a game that we have talked about before, though not necessarily this exact exact friend. We're going to see what we can do with the original Metroid from 87. Okay. 1987. And in case this is your first episode or you need a refresher on what the Metroid series is, it's a long-running series. It's one of Nintendo... Well once was one of Nintendo's flagship series, and I dream of the day it is again. <laughs> I mean, Metroid Prime 4 is coming. We did have a game last year. Two years ago. Wow, it's 2019. So, you know, Metroid might be coming back. Fingers crossed. We can Hope dream. Prime 4 sells really well. Yeah. Um, But you are Samus Aran, a famous and kick-butt space bounty hunter who fights the space pirates and saves the day and jumps into danger. Uh, And generally the games are uh, marked by exploration and discovering and, like, they're very lonely experiences on alien planets where you have to kind of fight your way through and find the solutions to different puzzles and jump around and find gear that lets you bypass problems. And Yeah. Uh, you might have heard us use the term Metroidvania before. This is it half comes of that. from Metroid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the first game, as sort of was the rule for most video games in you know the early years of the medium, pretty story light. Uh, and so we're gonna see what we can do to like take the building blocks that are there and sort of turn it into more of a complete story. Uh, kind of a la what the Netflix team did with Castlevania, which we talked about in a previous episode. But to start off with, let's get our given circumstances out of the way. Uh, given circumstances, if you don't remember, is the term for everything that happens before the action of a play. 
uh, that the characters know going in. And we're going to do this with the handy aid of, I looked up a PDF of the old manual that came with the NES cartridge of this game, and there's a title crawl. So Dylan and I are going to do some dramatic readings for y'all of this very, very silly intro that the Metroid series got. To be fair... A lot of NES games had title crawls. Yeah, um, it's great. Mega Man 2's, I think, is the most famous, but you also, like, Super Mario Bros. 2 had, a Ninten- yep. uh, had a title crawl. Yep, yep, yep. I love them all. <laughs> okay, anyway. Ah, uh, right. In the year 2000 of the history of the cosmos, representatives from the ma- many different planets in the galaxy established a congress called the Galactic Federation, and an age of prosperity began. A successful exchange of cultures and civilization resulted, and thousands of interstellar spaceships ferried back and forth between the planets. But space pirates also appeared to attack the spaceships. The Federation Bureau created the Galactic Federation Police, but the pirates' attacks were powerful, and it was not easy to catch them in the vastness of space. The Federation Bureau and the Federation Police called together the warriors known for their great courage, and sent them to do battle with the pirates. These great warriors were called Space Hunters. They received large rewards when they captured pirates, and made their living as space bounty hunters. It is now the year 20X5 of the history of the cosmos, and something terrible has happened. Space pirates have attacked a deep space research spaceship and seized a capsule containing an unknown life form that had just been discovered on planet SR388. This life form is in a state of suspended animation, but can be reactivated and will multiply when exposed to beta rays for 24 hours. It is suspected that the entire civilization of planet SR-388 was destroyed by some unknown person or thing, and there is a strong possibility that the lifeform just discovered was the cause of the planet's destruction. To carelessly let it multiply would be extremely dangerous. The Federation researchers have named it Metroid, and were bringing it back to Earth when it was stolen by the space pirates. If Metroid is multiplied by the space pirates and then used as a weapon, the entire galactic civilization will be destroyed. After a desperate search, the Federation police have at last found the pirates' headquarters, the fortress planet, Zebes, and launched a general attack. But the pirates' resistance is strong, and the police have been unable to take the planet. Meanwhile, in a room hidden deep within the center of the fortress, the preparations for multiplying the Metroid are progressing steadily. As a last resort, the Federation police have decided on this strategy, to send a space hunter to penetrate the center of the fortress and destroy the Mother Brain. The space hunter chosen for this mission is Sama Saran. She is the greatest of all the space hunters, and has successfully completed numerous missions that everybody thought were absolutely impossible. She is a cyborg. Her entire body has been surgically strengthened with robotics, giving her superpowers. Even the space pirates fear her spacesuit, which can absorb any enemy's power. But her true form is shrouded in mystery. The planet Zebes is a natural fortress. Its sides are covered with a special kind of stone, and its interior is a complicated maze. On top of that, the pirates have planted devices and booby traps in the maze, and the pirates' eerie followers lie in wait around every corner. Samus has now succeeded in penetrating Zebes, but time is running out. Will she be able to destroy the Metroid and save the galaxy? And then the game begins. Yeah. Um, So actually, I wanted to point out, um, and I I was going to read the instruction manual as is, but... uh, so the instruction manual doesn't uh, say, identify Samus Aran as a woman. Uh, it actually assumes that Samus is a male. And so one of the, the big things in Metroid is that if you beat the game under a certain time, you learn, oh, wow, Samus is a human, and she's actually, like, 
moat largely human. Uh, did I say? Did you I said say human Samus twice. Is human twice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Samus is a woman, and she's largely human. Fuck me. Yeah. The reason why I'm pointing this out is because we can incorporate that. So we've got a pretty solid set of like, all right, here are the stakes, the unit, the fate of all life in the galaxy. Apparently, uh, we know what our you know objective that we have to be working towards is: get through this fortress planet and beat Mother Brain. And we know who our main character is. We have Samus Aran, who's the most kick-butt space hunter in the universe. And that's where the game kicks off. And there's not really a lot of, like, story offered in gameplay. You just sort of, like, land on the planet. It's like, all right, find your way through. But if we were to make this into Metroid the movie featuring Sonic the Hedgehog... um, Oh, my God. (laughs) He can roll up into a ball. Samus can roll up into a ball. I'm just saying, Dylan. What's happening here? (laughs) Uh, one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is that we have the benefit of there being a ton more Metroid to mine from. And Dylan brought up that he thinks it's a good idea to, like, not leave, at the very least, things like Samus' origin story and stuff like that off the table. Um, and it's actually funny because I feel like a lot of this would have worked better with Super Metroid, funnily enough. But, um, whatever. I'll, I'll try to retrofit it into the original Metroid. Samus' backstory, uh, she has a lot of it. Like, a surprising amount for a game series that has very little dialogue in each entry. Um, but Samus' basic gist is that she was part of, like, a miner's colony in space that got attacked by space pirates, and she was rescued by the Chozo, which is, like, a bird-like alien race. Uh, they adopt her, um, infuse her with some of her DNA, with some of their DNA so she can survive on their planet, which... Also happens to be Zebus, where the space pirates are currently, as of Metroid 1, um, occupying. Samus used to work for the Galactic Federation. Um, certain events led her to quit, and so she now fights crime independently as a bounty hunter. And I think that's everything we need to know leading up to Metroid 1. Also, also her uh, suit isn't... Cy- like, she's not a cyborg. Her suit um, has, like... A technology that like interfaces with her zero suit it don't worry about it but her suit can adapt and incorporate items that it finds on alien planets all right so we have our stakes we have a super objective we have a samus we have an alien <laughs> planet and i think the first thing to think about if we're going to be like all right we have to make this into a story we have to make this into something that is trackable without just being played as a game where it's like, go and run and shoot and jump. Okay, so here's how um, Metroid is structured. You are exploring a labyrinth, you pick up power-ups. Um, I think some of the power-ups in the first Metroid in, uh, include you get missiles, you get the the morph ball, you get the screw attack, you get the ice beam, and I think you get morph ball bombs. I think that is it. We have the instruction manual open in front of us, but I don't want to yeah, go pouring through it. I think that's all correct. So what we can do is we can break it down into like, all right, we know what our final objective is, but we don't know how to take that on. Find and kill <laughs> Mother Brain is pretty minimal as far as being instructional. So we can turn into like, all right, the first thing that Samus has to do is figure out what that means and maybe find yeah. a way to gather some information in this hostile environment. 
Uh, mm. One of the, the hallmarks of the Metroid series is that they're very solitary experiences. Like, many of the games, Samus does not end up talking to anyone and everyone that she runs into is hostile. Not all of them, by any stretch, but, like, a lot of them. And that sort of, like, loneliness and sense of isolation is a pretty big part of the experience of these games. That's a challenge if we're doing it in a play. Because, like, in a play, kind of all you have to work with is people on stage having interactions. Or at the very least, like, in a one-man show talking to the audience. But, like, that's not... (laughs) Yeah. Although, what if... (laughs) What if Samus just narrated the entire first game? Um, Isn't that just Other M? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that was mean. Um, Uh, I mean, like, there's also that very terrible slasher plot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But so, if we're going for a play, that's going to be a big challenge. If If we're deciding that, like, nah, this makes more sense as a film, well... We would have a lot more freedom there. Yeah, there's plenty of movies that can tap into that sense of isolation and, like, you can do more with one actor in an environment on screen than you can on stage. So that's probably the the avenue to go with unless we want to introduce, like, another character that's there. But that feels like getting away from the, uh, the spirit of the game at the very least. Mm. You said you had some ideas about handling this particular hurdle. Um, yeah, I, I think about Metroid a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, uh, so the first act of any movie usually is to introduce a protagonist and an antagonist. And usually the first act of a movie ha- like has the protagonist refuse the call. Um, I think a very easy thing for this is um, the Galactic Federation puts out a bounty to... Uh, you know, take down Zebus. The Galactic Federation knows that Samus grew up on Zebus. Uh, it is her home. It is her home planet for all intents and purposes. After her, the miners' colony she was born in gets overrun and destroyed by space pirates. Samus Aran refuses, and so they send a agent to try and convince her. The agent doesn't give in any information about Samus. I don't know. Um. Part of me kind of wants to work in the plot twist that, like, oh, Samus Aaron is a woman, but, like, that doesn't really make sense uh, with the angle I'm working at, so I guess nix that. But essentially, like, have them find Samus. You can put a little bit of interplay there. Possibly have, you know, have, like, the next few scenes kind of establish her past and, like, create an antagonist in Ridley. Because uh, anyone who's played uh, Metroid, Mother Brain is, like, the final boss she's like the central core computer to the uh space pirate fortress but the alien ridley is the leader of the space pirates and so i i mentioned this last episode but he is also the person responsible for the death of samus's mother possibly father but i i do believe he definitely killed her mother and so you know you have a very strong antagonist there and like even if you don't choose to characterize ridley having samus like establishing that that rivalry, that that line of conflict between those two characters, would work pretty well. Yeah. Um, uh, to take a quick um, sidebar here, uh, mm-hmm. going to kick open the baby drama classroom door one more time, okay. and drunk professor Are we talking Chris the is going to or... Yeah, we're we're, we're going to talk a little about about the uh, the hero's journey. So they're 
in film writing, uh, there is this concept of the three-act structure. Uh, at its most basic, you have Act 1, in which you set up the world, kick off the adventure, and then Act 1 ends when the main character is willing to commit to whatever has been established. Uh, in, a ro- in a rom-com, it's the main character like, huh, maybe I do actually want to go after this this attractive person. In a fantasy movie, it's the point where they're like, okay, no, I do have to do this and go out into the world and like fight the monsters even though I don't want to, whatever that happens to be. Uh, act two is all about the buildup of action, buildup of stakes, buildup of tension. Somewhere in there, you have the midpoint, which is like the point at which the hero is at their lowest and most vulnerable state. Uh, to use an obvious one, in Star Wars, that is when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi dies in Star Wars Episode Four. That's Luke's midpoint. That is when he feels the most hopeless. And then from that, they bounce forward. The tension ratchets up again. You move into Act Three, which is where the climax takes place, and then everything resolves. Uh, but in screenwriting, there's also a slightly more elaborate version of this based on the work of the uh, mythologist Joseph Campbell where they lay out sort of the hero's journey as a screenwriting tool Uh, and I think that this might be fun to jump into so it starts off with the ordinary world and like you were saying I think this would be a point where we want to kind of chill with Samus and see what like Samus is doing in a regular day of kicking space butt and like what her what her day-to-day is, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Then you get the call to adventure. This would be that moment where, like, people from the Federation police show up and we're like, uh, we need, we need you? We, we did bad. <laughs> we did a wrong. And then we have the refusal of the call. And I think that this is where we could get some of that backstory that you're talking about that I, like, lean into Ridley a little bit more than they did in the original Metroid, just because, like, at the time he was just like, he's a big lizard. Yeah. He's a space pterodactyl. Um, (laughs) Refusal of the call is where, you know, you have to have a little bit of tension here. Think about, like, Frodo is not immediately like, I'm okay with taking this ring on this adventure. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Luke is not immediately like, yes, I will go with you, Obi-Wan Kenobi, into space and help you with this weird cause. He wants to go back to his farm. Another interesting one that, like, sometimes is used and sometimes isn't, uh, the last little point in Act 1 is referred to in The Hero's Journey as meeting with the mentor, which is the point at which they, like, sometimes it's literally a mentor. See again, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's a good example for a lot of these. Um, but some, it's also just can be, like, the hero receiving whatever it is they need to be able to accept the call to adventure. Sometimes it's like a physical, like, oh, I have this tool now and I can do it. Sometimes it's dealing with whatever the obstacles are that are sticking in their way. And I'm curious what that might be for our good friend Samus. What what I'm thinking, and Chris, like, we can we can hash this yeah. out, obviously. It's That's riff. the whole point of this episode. Um, I'm thinking, you know, this isn't the first time Samus has seen Ridley since childhood. Uh, let's assume that... You know, it could have even been, like, trying to remove them from, uh... I keep wanting to say Talon 4, but that's the the place from, uh, Metroid Prime... Zebus. Yes. Um, Zebus. Uh, let's say, like, they... Th- she was... 
Sorry, I'm I'm trying to like consolidate all no, this. I'm here, I'm here for you. Uh, <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be a sloppy one because we're gonna be riffing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe Paperboy would have been easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for my simple boy dodging the Grim Reaper on his paper route. Honestly, I can just picture a uh, Blues Brothers style <laughs> chase uh, as the movie's climax. I love it. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe in episode 20 we'll do Paperboy. Uh, ah, uh, yes. Um, but anyway, uh, back to back to Metroid. Um, I think we can... Okay, so maybe this would be, uh, a good thing to do right now. Let's, let's establish our version of Samus' backstory. Um, we, we, we already have, like, the canon stuff in there. Like, the yeah. Chozo, the, the orphan backstory, uh, yeah. her time in the military. Um... Let's riff a little bit on why did she leave the military? When did she encounter Ridley? Um, because that is stuff that we have the power to talk yeah. about. I honestly, I kind of like the idea of, like, what if she's never encountered Ridley? What if this would be her first time? But be- she just knows that he's there. Yeah, like, maybe they have intelligence relating mm. to that. Okay. And so this would be, like, maybe that's the the sticking point for her. Okay. I think that I like could be to, cool. I like to imagine that while she was serving in the military, Samus was on a mission or something to take out a space pirate outpost, but fails, and like she blames that in like for being a direct cause for them being able to take over her home planet. Like I, I wanna, I wanna try and give her like in like obviously she has an emotional stake already, but yeah. like I want her to, I, I want her. When she, you know, kills Mother Brain and leaves the uh, and leaves the planet, like that is a resolution for her. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel you. Make that more powerful, because like you know, if Samus kills Ridley and that's it, then that's it. Um. I want to also establish like a connection between her and Mother Brain and what the Space Pirate Fortress's presence on her home planet means to her. Um. And so. What I'm thinking is maybe uh, when she leaves the military, it's because she fails to protect her planet. She uh, fails to protect Zebus. Like, Zebus now becomes a space pirate haven. And to incorporate Metroid Zero Mission really quick, uh, Zero Mission being the remake of the original Metroid, Samus loses her power suit, crash lands back on Zebus after saving the day, and has to get another version of her power suit. Um, and there are some scenes that show her, like, flashbacks of her with her, men- uh, not mentor, uh, her guardian figure. So, like, there, there's, like, there's a huge establishment that Zebus is home to Samus. Okay, I like this. <clears throat> yeah. It's turning it into, and hey, maybe maybe that's all we need for yeah. this. Like, the refusal of the call can be, like, they know that Ridley's there and she doesn't want to have to go and deal with that. Yeah. But then maybe the okay, stick with me okay. on this. Okay, uh, cool. if we're if we're scripting out this scene of like some representative of the Federation police coming to Samus and mm-hmm. being like, okay, we messed up, we lost the Metroid. Uh, it's been taken by the space pirates. We need your help to get it back. Samus can be like, okay, tell me more details. I'm listening. Uh, and they explain like, all right, well, it was taken by space pirates we have reason to believe that Ridley was directly involved. And Samus can be like, that can be a moment of maybe not immediately like, 
I'm out, but that like puts a hitch on it and she, you know, yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. this communication falters Samus gives like a okay, get back to me when you have more like when you have more direct Intel. info and I will be able yeah. to maybe I'll be able to help out. In the meantime, I'll do some some digging on my own. I'm not sure if this is the kind of thing that you're going to want me for. Samus does some digging herself, finds out that either from the military or on her own, finds out that where the Metroid has been taken is Zebus. Mm-hmm. And I think that that could be an interesting compulsion for her to be like, well, this is not something I want to do, but I cannot in good conscience let my home continue to be used for this yeah. kind of thing. Okay. I feel like there yeah. might be room for another... Another scene, or... Either another scene or, like, another character in there. Like, the the issue I'm having is that so much of this is so solitary, which is good. Like, that's a compelling yeah. thing, but it makes it a lot harder to parse out and to find genuine feeling solutions that aren't that's, just, that's like... That's fair. Which, like, is an interesting challenge, and I'm kind of enjoying riddling through this but like you know we've discussed before on this podcast that like the action of a play is frequently you know two or more people on stage trying to get something from each other yeah um and so when you don't have that particularly like in one man shows or in a film where you spend a lot of it on your own or on your own but for like threats mm-hmm. it's harder to find the uh so so chris yeah. um and I don't know if this will help or if this will just completely derail the episode, <laughs> but I was wait when you when you proposed this like a month ago. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I was thinking about this under the impression that we were going to be doing Super Metroid, the third game in the series. Okay. Um, and so I had like a lot of thoughts for how to tackle that because that game, you kind of go straight to Zebus. Um, the the basic plot of Super Metroid for those who don't know is that. Um, Samus has the last surviving Metroid. She gives it to a group of researchers uh, so they can study what ways it can benefit mankind. Um, The space pirates attack that research facility, steal the Metroid again, and Samus has to chase Ridley back to Zebus and, um, you know, find find and retrieve the lost Metroid. Um, So that, that one has, like, a cold open into isolation, and so, like, I think an interesting way to do Super Metroid would be to make it almost a prequel of sorts, as well as a sequel to Metroid, where, you know, in my mind, I I would kind of do it, do like a Prince of Persia style narrative, except, you know, rather than the movie, I'm, I'm referring to Prince of Persia, the game, where like every area that Samus visits is a home to her and has a story. And so the plot of Super Metroid would be her reminiscing and remembering about her upbringing. And in that way, you I could even potentially see making her guardian as the... Like, it is essentially a prequel about Samus' upbringing with the plot of Super Metroid as the, uh, the framing device. Interesting. <laughs> I'm into that. Uh... But we are not doing Super Metroid. Yeah. <laughs> we are doing the original Metroid. <laughs> um, and that's a lot harder. <laughs> it's true. Um, I think what might be interesting to consider mm-hmm. is... Hmm, 
I like that idea, and I like the idea of tying Samus further into what has gone wrong here. Yeah. So maybe we can even, like, get some flashback moments hinting that this place that the Metroid was stolen from, like, the, the, the deep space research facility, like, maybe Samus was, like, had a history with some of the people there or, like, had done some work with them. What okay, I'm getting we're, we're at talk- here is we're that... We're talking about the original Metroid right now? Yes. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Uh, what I'm getting at here, or attempting to, is this idea that it is good for your main character to have reasons to care about the action. Yeah. Uh, it is good to tie things together as much as possible so that it's not just a, like, matter of convenience and coincidence that this person is solving this problem. So, okay, here, here's what I was thinking when you announced that instead of doing Super Metroid, we would be doing Metroid. Kind of take a similar approach where, like, I, I was talking about Super Metroid and, like, how I would use the plot of Super Metroid as it is, as, like, kind of a framing device. Mm-hmm. It is the present storyline in what is actually a stealth prequel. And I I think the way you could kind of retrofit that into the original Metroid is that you have it be less about Samus's upbringing and her childhood and her relationship with her guardian and why she chooses to leave to join the military. And you can make the original Metroid more about Samus's life in the military. Yeah, I like that. And then we have, you know, there's room for these, like... What I like about this idea is this image of, like, these long, quiet, like long takes of Samus moving through these like ruined corridors and like it's dark and the lighting is largely diegetic and so it's all light coming from like her suit and a flashlight and like the occasional like flickering electronics okay okay here's what I'm thinking here's what I'm thinking hit me um the the B plot of this uh weird experimental citizen Kane (laughs) Yes. Uh, Citizen Kane story, Metroid. We can, like, do various cuts in the, as, as Samus fights creatures associated with space pirates. As she um, is going through these ruined hallways, she can flash back to the destruction of other environments, other, um, other areas, other planets she has either failed to defend or has just barely managed to succeed defending. Um, exactly what I was going to be getting what, at. Yeah, exactly. What I'm what I'm thinking of is in my mind, I have like Star Wars: The Clone Wars in my mind. Into it, uh, where like you know, obviously it's not an entire miniseries in a two hour runtime, but you know, it, it it is kind of the implication of Samus's. You know, Samus is pretty young, but like she's seen a lot, and I think like you can incorporate that into like kind of implying like that everything she was trying to protect from her home planet. Like everything that she's been trying to protect, uh, uh, let me let me rephrase that. She has failed or succeeded. Like it can be any number of different missions, like here and there. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, what caused her to leave the military is her failure to protect, or she, or maybe she does. She feels like the galactic Fe- she can do better than what the Galactic Federation is allowing her to do. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of different ways you can kind of work this character angle, but I think what is important is that. Um, we establish Samus's successes as well as her failures, and then, you know, the the structure of the movie will some like kind of put a period next to that with like, it doesn't matter. She has failed to protect her home. Yeah, 
And, like, that is her character arc. And so we will, like, I, I'm getting this sense of, like, a series of vignettes that, like, builds to... Oh, it's really hard because it's, it's very non-linear storytelling. And as as interesting and fun as that sounds, like, I, I have not written enough to, like, properly do <laughs> that kind of story. Or at least properly plot it out in 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, in my mind, it's it's almost like... It is definitely an in-media res story where we're starting at the end going... Uh, I like the idea of kind of unraveling the mystery of who Samus is. Like, the very first scene establishes, this is Samus. She is a bounty hunter. Um, and she is at odds with this mission that she's about to do. And then we kind of work our way back and kind of show her from a youthful cadet who is, like, super into the idea of preserving peace and justice in the galaxy and watching that slowly erode away with her successes and victories to the point where, like, we can make the... I'm, I'm thinking, like, midway through Act 2, it is punctuated by, uh, you know, the loss of her home. Yes. The loss of her home and her uh, resignation from the military. Yes. I like this. <laughs> No, because I think I think that you're kind of hitting on it. Like this is not a movie that fits neatly into the traditional three act structure, just because like, again, it's the game itself. You're alone the whole time. Yeah, but I think that you you've hit on it. I think that the way to handle this is like have it be sort of semi nonlinear in that like the framing device is Sam is going through all of this stuff, but then intercut with like sort of memento esque flashbacks of like moments through her life and that can maybe have like a little mini hero's journey style thing attached to it yeah and these these different episodes have recurring characters like this is where the heart and meat of our drama yeah. comes in and then it can... Uh, we can introduce her commanding officer adam malkovich actually make him a sympathetic likable character yeah um... <laughs> cough cough other m um... cough cough other m and cough then... cough last episode yeah and I think that this is fun because we can. There's a way to do this, and I should think obvious asterisk here. Neither Dylan or I are really writers. Uh, no, we have both written some, uh, but not our forte. We are actors. That is what we do. Uh, yeah. But this is fun to talk about, and I hope that if nothing else, we've shown you how important it is to have people who know what they're doing on adaptations, because otherwise, you end up with people like us being like, uh, uh, uh. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, like, I'm fairly confident that, like, if you gave me, like, two weeks to, like, plot out a rough draft oh, or yeah, something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Same. I uh, don't know. Two weeks seems, like, pretty uh, <laughs> time constraint for, like, an entire script, but oh, I don't 100%. know. 100%. Um, uh, <laughs> but it's been, like, this is also a fun thing to just sort of think about. And I think that there's there's a way to do this in which, like, you set up stakes that are pertinent to the framing narrative. And so then you can have, like you can have, like, mirrored moments in the hero's journey. You can have, like, the midpoint, that, like, darkest moment for the hero. You can have one of those for the Samus that we are tracking through Zebes in, like, the present, the framing narrative. Uh, and then that can be intercut with the, like, worst moment from her past, the moment from this story of the times leading up to how she came to be in this place that was, you know, her midpoint of that story. And you can build these cool parallel moments throughout one of them, one of these stories being this very solitary trek through hell and the other being 
a more traditional like story with characters and multiple people. Yeah. Wanna... And if you want to get really crazy, you can intercut action scenes with both. Yeah. Now I want to make this. <laughs> this is cool. I want Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I want to I want to write this and either make it as a podcast or like find an animator to team up with cuz this seems an really an- cool. To to animate a 2-hour movie? I mean, I'm thinking like I'm obviously thinking d- turning this into like more of a miniseries type thing. Yeah, yeah. But like this seems cool. This is a cool I'm all about like stories that are that do weird things with their narratives and I think that this yeah, is yeah. A, a cool thing that we have stumbled upon. <laughs> um I think that's probably about as clean as we're going to get this. Yeah, in our like runtime. I think I, I think we can ramble on a lot more but like oh yeah. Oh we, yeah. We found that we found the nugget. I think that we 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 came to the structure that will work for this uh, yeah. to turn it into more of a narrative experience. Um, um, I guess, like, what I, I wanted to throw out before we, we started doing the credits was, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the whole point of, like, the whole problem with doing a Metroid movie to begin with is um, the idea, like, it is a solitary experience. And, you know... Uh, if you look at something like Hitman, which is supposed to be a very, like, quiet, slow-paced, methodical uh, ex- playing experience, um, you know, when Hollywood got the rights to Hitman, they turned both movies into these high-octane action thrillers, which is completely against the spirit of the yep. Hitman games. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, and so, like, you know, uh, the, the huge challenge here and why I was excited to do this episode was we were kind of taking something similar, something as, like, slow and kind of labyrinthian and isolated as metroid and like trying to fit a narrative into there that hopefully is not quite the you know the 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 way that we're framing it gives us the freedom to make it a little bit like high octane and like make it a movie going experience that will appeal to john and janet at your local movie theater. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, like, I, I I, just wanted to throw out there that, like, a huge part of this was us kind of, like, working in reverse. Like, we usually look at separate qualities of a video game and, like, try to look at, like, cool different narrative threads that have. Uh, they have, this was kind of us doing the reverse and being like, this game has all these cool narrative threads. How do we fit that into yeah. a movie? Yeah, yeah. Um... So yeah, thank you for coming along with us on that adventure, uh, and thank you for bearing with us as we kind of figured out exactly what this segment is. Uh, uh, we, I like we started by jumping right, like we Miles Morales it. Yep. <laughs> and I think that I don't know. I had fun. I think that I had, I had fun. Hopefully, it'll be a good listening experience. Yeah, and I think that now we know this is not going to be a thing where we can come up with like an exact like beat by beat story but we can maybe find like the theme and the feeling that then can be like paint by numbers in yeah, uh, yeah to create that and i don't know i like this i think that this is definitely something i want to continue to do uh let oh us, i would love to let us know on twitter etc if you want to which brings us cut neatly to the end of the episode um, <laughs> thank you all for listening <laughs> to my terrible noises um Oh, speaking of weird endings to episodes, my mom had to ask me about the Joey Wheeler uh, <laughs> ending we did that last time. Be- that was last episode. It's been so long. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Backstage Gaming. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Uh, as always, 
it means the world to us that you are listening, and it would mean even more the world to us if you would tell people about us, help us grow, share us with your friends, your enemies, your family, your pastor, your furniture salesman. I don't know. What about your rabbi? Your, your rabbi? Pastor, but not your rabbi? Your, Come on, Chris. I'm, I'm sure your rabbi would. If you have a cool rabbi, they'll like our show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just lost completely my brain. Um, uh, I'm sorry. It's okay. We're Backstage Gaming. You can visit our website at bsgpod.com. That's bsgpod.com. You can contact us, see some information about us, and listen to episodes. Yeah, it's great. Um, you can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And we are on Tumblr. Uh, search Fuck. Backstage Game. <laughs> <laughs> That was amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find us by searching for Backstage Gaming Podcast. We're also on Twitter. Uh, our t- Twitter handle is at BSG underscore cast. Please feel free to tweet at us. Uh, tell us things you like. Tell us things you don't like. Tell us ideas you have. And just tweet about the show generally using the hashtag BSGpod. That's hashtag BSGpod. It would mean a lot. So uh, if you like the artwork we use for our episodes, you can thank our friend Brennan French. Um, be sure to visit his Squarespace, brennanfrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French.squarespace.com. And thank you, as always, to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. You can find him and the rest of his great weird electronica at soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. That's all we got for you this week. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to us to, like, ramble until we hit upon the nugget that we liked. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did, too. I, I had a blast. And we will talk to you again next week. For all of us here, all two of us here at Backstage Gaming, <laughs> we hope you're having <laughs> a good start to your 2019. Bye-bye. Take care. <laughs> goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill